And I've wanted to for quite a while. Uh, that kept coming into my head. Now I've got a I've got a confession to make. I don't like the Beatles very much. Okay, to me it's like I'd rather hear nails on a chalkboard than the Beatles. You know, it's just not it's not my thing. Who likes the Beatles? Anybody like the Beatles in here? Okay, a couple of us do. Who is like me and says, no way, man, that's not, that's not me. That's not my, my thing. But, uh, you know, Hey Jude, it was a song. It came out August of 1968. It was an instant hit. And when it came out in August of 68, it, was, uh, it, it, it sold in the first couple months, it sold 5 million copies. And uh, within, by the end of the year, it sold about 10 million copies of the single. It was to this point the longest single in history. It was seven minutes, 11 seconds. It was a very long song. Now, what I didn't know is that Paul McCartney wrote this song to John Lennon's son, Julius. And he wrote it because Julius was, uh, Julius's parents, the, the John the Lennons, I don't know who his wife's name was before, uh, Yoko Ono, but uh, when, when they had gotten a divorce, he was taking it pretty hard, and, and so McCartney had written this to him, and he kind of wanted to keep it a secret of who it was about, so he liked the song Oklahoma, or the, 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 I mean, sorry, the, uh, the play Oklahoma, and so in the movie, in that Oklahoma, there's a guy named Judd, and he liked that character, so he called it Hey Jude. And years later, he explained to Julius what it was about. Julius didn't even know it was about him until years later, they, they, were, they sat in a restaurant in New York, and, and, and uh, McCartney explained the song to, to, to Julius. Now, if you don't know the song at all, the, the chorus is incredibly difficult. It's a very deep chorus. So I'm going to teach it to us this morning. Are you ready? Ready to learn a little chorus today? Okay, here's the lines. <clears throat> Are you ready? Na 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 na. Hey Jude. That's that's the first line. It gets better. Okay, it gets better. Next line. Na 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 na. Whatever. Hey Jude. Sixteen times that goes on. Genius for sixteen lines that goes on saying na 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 na. Hey Jude. You know that's the song. And so now here's the rub. You're like, why are you telling us about this book, or why are you telling us about this song? There's a great reason. I think most of us probably know a lot more about the song Hey Jude than the book of the, the Bible with the same name of Jude. i got to be honest with you, I have not heard many messages that, that, that are based on or have any scripture in or any even inkling of the book of Jude. And I've heard a lot of preaching in my life. I've heard probably tens of thousands of messages and rarely, now not not never, but rarely have I ever heard a message on the book of Jude. Who else is with me today? You else, you're like, I've never heard that book very much. And so one commentator who wrote this back in the 1800s said, the book of Jude is probably one of the most easily overlooked books of the Bible. He, he talked about, now I want you to turn there today if you would, and it's way back in the back of your Bible. It's right before Revelation, uh, right after 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, it's an it's a, it, easy book to miss. You may have to look at the pages in the front. It's one page if you have no commentary. Maybe it's three pages at the max, but it's a short, short little book. And, and maybe that's the reason why we don't speak it a lot. We don't talk about it a lot. It's so stinking short. It's just 25 verses long. 613 words. Now, it's not the shortest book. It's actually number four if you're, if you're in the stats. 
Number four, uh, second, third John are shorter, and then comes Philemon, and then comes the book of Jude. Jude is one chapter, actually not really even a chapter, it's just 25 verses long, and that's it. And again, it's very easy to miss. It's been called a book that has been treated with benign neglect, as one commentator wrote it back in the 1800s. Even back then, people were like, Hey Jude, or whatever, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And, and so it is very small, very easily overlooked. I think because of that, it is easily overlooked. But here's the thing about Jude, is that Jude is a mega important book for us to consider, especially in our day and age. Jude is a mega importance to believers nowadays. It's huge. We need to know what this little book tells us because, and this is why, Jude is probably the clearest instruction to believers across the years and generations about something we're going to dive in deeply today, and it's the idea of contending for the faith. This morning we're calling this message contenders and not pretenders. And yes, it rhymes. It's kind of cute today. But the idea behind it is not very cute. God has called you and me as believers to be contenders for the faith. Let's dive in today. It's Jude, not chapter 1, because if you said that, there's, you'd, be, you'd be wrong. It's Jude 1, and, 1 through 2. And so this is what it says. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Christ Jesus, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you all. Now notice here that Jude starts it off in a very similar way to other books in the, in the New Testament. Now I say books with quotes because really much of the New Testament is not books. It's letters written by church leaders as instruction to the churches. And so that's what Jude was. Jude was a letter of instruction to churches. And so that's why it seems to to start off an awful lot like any one of Paul's books or the other letters. And so the question comes now, who was Jude? Jude introduces himself here as a servant, or maybe your translation says slave, which actually is probably a better translation. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now that's interesting he says those two things. Uh, James was well known at this time throughout Christian circles. Uh, you know, much like we have nowadays, they had well-known ministers, well-known pastors in those days. James was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a very large, very influential church at this time. And James was their pastor. And so James was well-known. And Jude here is establishing some credibility with people. But then he also says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, which is very interesting. Because if you look in Galatians 1.19, Paul refers to James as James the Lord's brother. And in Mark 6 verse 3, Jesus is told that he has brothers named James and Jude. So it's safe to say that this book was written by Jude, Jesus' brother. And we know that, of course, Jesus was not an only child. He had brothers. He had siblings. He, of course, was the oldest because he was born to a virgin. And so uh, he was the oldest of the brothers. But he had brothers and sisters. And so James was one of those. And so was Jude. Now, I would think if you're trying to establish credibility with your readers, your listeners, and you're Jesus' brother, I think it'd be somebody who would say, hey, you know what, I'm Jesus' brother. And so, you know, I listen to me because I got something to say. And so he doesn't do that here, though, does he? 
He says here he's a servant of Jesus just like everybody else does and just like everybody else is. That's a pretty important thing to see here because this sets the pace for this short little letter. Because he doesn't come with this saying, I'm Jesus' brother. I'm the brother of James. Look at me. I'm the man. No, he comes at this with a very humbled, very low-down, very loving heart that says, this is what I am. This is what God's called me to. I'm a servant of Christ. And I, as you're going to see in a few minutes here, I love God's church important to see what kind of person that he was. And he, Jews ran to a particular audience. You can see it here. To those who are called, beloved, and kept, uh, in, in the, kept by the Father for, for Christ Jesus. And uh, those three words, called, beloved, and kept, are, are great words. Those are important words. I, those are fantastic words. Someday we'll do a message on those. Uh, or maybe even a series on those three words. Because that's really a powerful thing right there. But not today. It's good stuff. But we can't really this morning. But he's writing to followers of Jesus. This is a book not written to, you know, everybody. It was written to people that followed Christ and followed Jesus Christ. And he deeply and humbly loves these people. And let's look today at verse 3, how he refers to us. He said, Beloved. And I like that word, beloved. We don't say beloved anymore, do we? We don't say, hey, you're my beloved. It'd be a little weird. But, but back then, that was a way that they, that they addressed each other, uh, this deep sense of love within the church. Beloved, although I was, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Everyone say this morning, contend for the faith. To what? Contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered, say delivered, delivered to the saints. Those are some important things right there. You ever meet someone before that they just so passionate about something, you know where the conversation is going to go before it even goes there. You're like, I, I know where it's going to go. It's going to go to this. You know, it's, maybe they love sports or they love knitting or crocheting or hunting or whatever. You know where it's going to go, right? When I was in high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Stoic. He taught math at Monticello High School. I don't know if he still does or not, but uh, he loved math, and he was passionate about math. And at this point in time, he was not married yet. He was single, a single guy, and you'll find out in a minute why he was single. Uh, Mr. Stoic, every Monday, would go through and explain to us uh, a problem that he did over the weekend. So when some people are out, you know, fishing or hunting or they're, you know, sitting in their backyard enjoying a nice day and the weekend, Mr. Stoic is doing these incredibly difficult math problems. And I'm, I'm telling you, they were like head-spinning ones. They were impossible. And he would go through and explain them with passion and detail and purpose and get so excited. And it was so funny. We sit there, our heads spinning, and laugh at the guy because you're doing math, Mr. Stoic. This is math class. This is not that great. But he loved math. And one time, one student uh, asked him, he said, Mr. Stoic, have you ever had a date before? Like, you know, you ever go on dates or whatever? He said, yeah. He said, I will when I find a girl who loves math as much as I do. And, and so maybe that was true. Maybe it wasn't true. But Mr. Stoic loved math. You knew when you were around him that math was going to come up at some point in time. This right here is a similar heart behind what Jude is saying here. Jude says, man, I wanted to write you a letter. It was going to be amazing about my very favorite subjects. The gospel. I love that subject. It's my favorite thing ever. But, he says, but, 
some things have changed, and I need to discuss something differently because, and we'll get into that in a minute here, but you know when people are, are, are passionate, like Jude right here, you know when what they're preaching about or talking about has gripped their heart. Because it grips their heart when it comes out in, in their speech. Now I want to ask you a question today that God challenged me with this week as I prepared this. Um, does what comes out in your speech reflect the passion you say you have for Christ? You say, man, I love God with all my heart. I, he's my, my Savior. He's my Lord. I, I love him. Does that come out in your speech? Do you talk about it? Can people tell that about you? When you walk in the store, do people say, man, that's got to be a believer. Or, you know, there's, just, there's something about you that's different. Because I'll tell you this morning, church, that that is what God has called you and I to live like. It's to be these people that, 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 we, that we wear our emotions on our sleeves, so to speak, when it comes to the gospel. That's how Jude was. In these, these first verses, you get a sense of the, of the guy that Jude was. He would want to talk to you about this. He said, I'm eager to write you about our common salvation. This tells us what he wanted to write, but he actually wrote a very different letter. And I would say because of his love for that, that common salvation. So three things we can, we can see from this, this right here. The first thing is he loves the gospel. Jude loves the gospel. I, I, I like that, don't you? He loves the gospel. I mean, he's eager to talk about it. He has his favorite topic, and this is what it is. What Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, again, Jesus was his brother, and some people believe that uh, while before Jesus you know, died on the cross, that some of his siblings were not real thrilled about, about him. But then once he died, once he actually died and rose again, they changed their tune. Jude very possibly might have been one of those people because he was somewhat at, at a time, uh, some of an outsider in the Christian circles, and that's why he had to start out this way. But Jude changed. God changed his heart, and now he writes this letter to say, I love the gospel, and I'm a servant of Christ just like all of you guys are. It's a passion. It's important to me. He loves the gospel, yet... Number two, he delights in the delivered gospel. Now, the word delivered there is really important, isn't it? You see, we live in a day and age, and it seems like it's not that different from how it was back then, when people come up with little, little twists and little things on the gospel that maybe really aren't there, or really aren't truth, or really aren't gospel, so to speak. And, 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 and that's certainly the case at this time. Uh, the delivered gospel is an important thing. The delivered gospel was what came from Jesus, what came from uh, the, the, the Old Testament prophets, what came from the apostles, what came from these folks. God gave it to them. They delivered it to the church. And there's people within the church were trying to change and morph and do something different to the gospel than what was delivered to them. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody nowadays? See, you can't hardly turn your TV on. You, you watch the internet. The internet has been, been great for this. I say great in quotes because you go on the internet, you, you, you read, watch preaching or something on the internet like, like I do because I'm weird, but uh, maybe, not, maybe not that weird, but hopefully not that weird. But you watch some preachers, and it's like, man, that's not truth. That's not where God's called us to. That's not it. You've got all kinds of crazy stuff happening within the church of little twists on the gospel. That was not, this, this is not things that didn't happen in these days too. This day was the same thing. 
At this time, uh, they were de- dealing with an issue called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, Gnostic is, is knowing or knowledge. That's another word for that. And it's a, a complicated belief structure that's somewhat based on a, a part of Christianity but wasn't really. And, and it had this twists and turns. And, you know, Jesus wasn't really the Messiah. He was a great teacher. He was a great leader. He preached a great message. But because he was so popular, people thought he was the Messiah. Messiah, but really what he was was he was this enlightened kind of being that, that, that really believed in God and did all these great things, and the idea was you can be that same way too. That, that Gnosticism was based on this secret knowledge that you received from God, that he spoke this secret knowledge to people, and that is where salvation comes. And that was creeping into the church. They were seeing this happen. They were, they were seeing this, and people were being led astray by this. And Jude is, is concerned. Jude is saying, no, no, no. The delivered gospel, the one that came from, the, from old, the one that came from Paul, the apostles, it's simple, it's not complex, it's hope-giving, it's life-changing, it's the gospel. And Jude writes to say, eh, nope, folks, I love the gospel. I love my church. I love people. And you have to know something. That this is, the gospel is not some nebulous thing that nobody can pin down. There's a completeness and finality to the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, of him coming to the the earth, of of our sin problem that we could not possibly do anything about, but God did, sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross for our sins, to to clean us, to change us, to give us a hope and a future and a promise. That's the gospel. And people were twisting that. People do that nowadays too. The gospel says, well, you know, hey, if you want this or you want that, just believe more for it or whatever else. No, the gospel is clear to us. And he says here something. He says he delights in the gospel that's entrusted to us. In our house, or right now, Emmy, for some reason, loves leaves. And so uh, she picks up leaves around the yard and people, other people's yards and You've been to your house before. Maybe she's picked up one of your leaves. Or she'll pick them up and she'll, she'll give them to us. She'll entrust the, her leaves to us. And she'll say, Daddy, hold this. And I'm like, it's a leaf. What am I going to do with this? And so, uh, you know, but I, one time, made, made the mistake of, you know, kind of putting it away and saying, no big deal. Uh, that was a mistake because she was like entrusting this precious leaf to us. And so we have stashes of leaves around our house. Uh, we have in, in our, 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 our cup holder in the van on her side, it's literally covered and full of leaves. Uh, because of things that she's stashed there over time. She's entrusted those leaves to us. Entrust is a key word here. What Judah's saying is that what, what's been entrusted to us is much more valuable than anything else that's ever been entrusted to us. We need to guard it. Second Timothy 1.14, Paul writes to Timothy a very similar thing when he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Get this, guard the good disp- deposit entrusted to you. That's huge, isn't it? By the, the, the Holy Spirit who dwells, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Folks, the gospel has been given to us, entrusted to us, delivered to us, given to us for protection, for cherishing. And we're called to hold it and guard it and treasure it. 
Jude delights in the gospel. It's what he treasures most. Now, now why is this important? Let's read continuing in verses 3. We'll read 3 again and read read on to 4 here. It said again, Beloved, Although I was eager to write to you about your, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The word contend in these days was a strong word used in sports. Contend was, if you played sports or if you ever did that kind of thing, uh, contending is what you do at the end of a game when you're about finished and you see behind you someone's catching up to you. And when I ran track, that happened all the time because they usually get caught up and they ran past me. But if you were good at track, uh, you had been, been running, which I was not. You'd been running and you would have seen someone right here next to you and it's like that last push. Man, I got to push through because if I don't push... This guy's going to beat me. That's contending. It's that final push. It's that saying, no, I'm not letting that happen. And you push on through. That's what this word was used for in these days. It was a sports term. It was a strong term. See, we don't just delight in the gospel. We don't just even delight the gospel and kind of put up with a little muddling or a little confusing here and there. We are called to put our energies into contending for, struggling for, fighting for the gospel. The gospel. Last week we had our church's Pinewood Derby, and I appreciate the Ranger guys, the Ranger leaders for putting that out. It was a fun time. It was, it was awesome. It was a lot. It was a great time, and, and I enjoyed it. You may know I'm a little, I'm a little bit uh, uh, um, uh, competitive, uh, a little bit. And so I really wanted to enter into the Pinewood Derby last week. I really wanted to do it. And so uh, several years back, I made a, a Pinewood Derby car at, 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 back in Kalamazoo, and it was, it was a good car. I, I wanted to win. There was me and this other guy in, in our church that were very competitive. And so he was like, I'm going to beat you. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm beating you. And we bought books, different books. We bought books online to teach us how to build a derby car. And so we, it told you where to, where to cut it. It tells you where to put the graphite in the wheels. It tells you exactly where to place your weights. I ordered weights online. I bought them from like this special place that does only with derby cars. I mean, it was the best of the best of the best. And I came in second place because he was more dedicated than I was. But, I was, but him and I were beating everybody else. So guess what? When we announced we're going to do that here, I thought, I got a car. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to got a car, and I'll stuck with just about anybody's car. And so my plan was on Tuesday night to go down in my basement and find my derby car. Problem was, is I couldn't find it. Um, I looked in, in my boxes. I opened them up. I couldn't find it. It was gone. I just didn't know where it was. And I looked for a while. I thought, oh, you know what? It's gone. Forget about it. And, you know, you, we've all lost things before, haven't we, in our lives? It, you know, mean things to us, but... You lose it. It's like, okay, whatever. And then pair that with what happened to us a few years ago. Where we are on a Sunday morning after church. And I, that morning had been a busy morning. I had preached that morning. I had taught a class that morning. It was a busy day. On those kind of days, Lisa was involved in kids ministry. On those kinds of days, we had a, a young lady that would pick up our girls from, from their class. And so that was like normal, but then all of a sudden, Lisa comes running into the sanctuary a half hour after church is done. She says, we can't find Michaela. She's gone. I'm like, oh, we'll find her. She goes, no. She goes, 
she's gone. And there's something in her eyes that was like, okay, this is pretty serious business. And so we start searching. I, I turned the church upside down. I said, folks, we're going to find Michaela. And so we started to search everywhere, and we could not find her. We're looking in closets. We're looking under seats. We're looking in rooms. We're looking everywhere. And I'm getting panicky because I'm like, well, what happened? Did, did someone take her? Did she run off someplace? Is she somewhere, you know, across the river? I mean, where is she? I don't know where she is. We couldn't find her. And finally we did. About a half hour later, we found her. I think she was in a Eating chocolate, yes. She was eating chocolate, which, of course, that she had stolen. And she was in a closet uh, under, under some, some costumes. And so that's why we don't have costumes here at the church. But, uh, no, you know, I, I've lost some things in my life, haven't I? You, you have too. But there's things you lose that you lose, and then there's things you lose that you will contend for. In Jude, we are asked to contend when I lost my derby car, I was upset. I, I opened the boxes. I looked around. I, I, you know, I was like, man, where did I put it? I, you know, I wasn't sure. I was upset, but I went to bed on Tuesday night in peace. I was fine. You know, I went to bed, and it was not that big of a deal. Had we not found Michaela that day, I will guarantee you something. I would have turned that church upside down. I would have turned to Portage. I would have turned Kalamazoo. I would have looked everywhere I could have. I would have called every person. I would have found my daughter. I would not have slept until we found her. I, if we didn't find her still, I would not be in peace. There's things we lose. There's things we have to contend for. See, that's the heart right here. Jude is telling us, folks, church, people, believers, there's a danger happening. And he's calling us to contend for the gospel. Delight in the gospel. Don't just try to sort of get it back. Put your energy into it. Delight in it and contend for it. Why? He tells us here. There's a danger. He says in verse 3, certain people have crept in unnoticed. And he continues, he says, who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and have denied our master, Jesus Christ. I want you to see the danger here. The danger is distortion of the gospel. That's a dangerous thing. It's something that is worth our time to contend for. It's important. It reminds me of what Paul said to the Ephesians. In Acts 20, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. All throughout the New Testament, we are told, warned, talked about these kind of situations. Jude here is saying, folks, church, it's real, it's happening. You need to contend for the good, for the good news and for the gospel. The gospel, Jude says, is worth fighting for. More than math, <laughs> more than derby cars, more than lost keys, more than lost, a lost wallet, more than a lost anything. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a challenging thought for us in the Western church, isn't it? That's challenging. It's a challenging thought. That when this kind of word contend, which we kind of lose a little bit because we don't really get that word as much nowadays. When we see that and what it really means and what it really describes, we're told to do that. And yet, 
we find so often that it's hard to do that because we're indifferent because of whatever else, or all kinds of reasons, that, and, and such. And there's all kinds of reasons for it. And a lot of us are like that. It's, it's, it's life. It's, it's where it is. But, but, but that's the kind of nature, that's the kind of attitude we're to have towards the gospel. So what this morning? You, you asked that question, what does this mean? I want to close this morning with applying this today in three ways. First of all, number one is do you know the gospel? I can't assume that you know what the gospel is because maybe you don't know the gospel this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know the gospel. I don't, I've heard it before. I've heard that talk, but I'm not sure what that really means. And you know, The gospel has been, that word gospel has been, has been assigned to things that it really isn't, isn't it? Hasn't it at times? Remember, in the church I used pastored at, we didn't have potlucks. And this guy, to him, that was just the worst thing ever. And so he came to me one time and said, Pastor Steve, we need more potlucks. We need more fellowship. And he just, he was laying into me. I was like, I'm the youth pastor. I can't do anything about that. But he's laying into me. And he's like, Pastor Steve, Christians are supposed to eat together. That's the gospel truth. And I'm like, really? That's the, that's the gospel truth? I mean, I know we like potlucks. We like to eat. No one could have too much green salad, you know, with marshmallows in it. But, but is that the gospel? Is that really what the gospel is? I would say this morning, no. The gospel is a very clear, concise, pointed thing. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us the core of the gospel. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So Paul's saying, this is the gospel. Get ready. Here it comes. Colon mark. Right here he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I'd received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. From this passage we can find a few things about the gospel. First of all, it's the truth that saves us. The gospel is what we received. It's the thing that in which we're being saved. The gospel saves. And, but, but the words don't save, do they? It's Jesus Christ. It's number two. The gospel is Jesus. Specifically his death and resurrection. The gospel is Jesus. That this world is without hope. This world is without anything. And that includes yours truly and you truly. That includes all of us. We're without hope. Without this truth that Jesus Christ came into the world, died on the cross for our sins, was raised again. And that's the third part right here. First Peter 3.18 said, For Christ also died, suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now that Romans 5.1, his death and his trust. Or there, at Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, church. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that church is worth contending for. Tim Keller once said, I love this, he said, The gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can wade and yet an elephant can swim. It's both simple enough to tell a child and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. Indeed, even angels never tire of looking at it. That's the gospel. It's amazing. Number two, do you delight in the gospel? Again, that's the challenge this morning. Because a lot of us know the gospel. A lot of us can tell you the gospel. I'm not telling you things this morning that you probably said, ah, I didn't know that. That's news to me. Most of us know that. 
I would say a lot of, belie- of non believers, a lot of people who we meet at Walmarts and at Target or whatever else, they probably know something about the gospel. But yet, we have found that this part right here, the delighting part that, that Jude talks about, this is a little more challenging. Do you delight on the, in the gospel? You see, the problem for us this morning, here's the truth. Our actions cheat on our words and show what we're really excited about. If you say, well, I'm not sure if I'm really all that delighting, I, I want to encourage you to look at your words. Look at what things grip your heart. Look at things that you talk about. Look at the things that you, that you communicate about. Because you'll find that this, this is not it. If this is not where it is, I want to encourage you to double back, to stop back and say, God, I need to learn what this means, what Jude got, what caused him to write this message. I need to learn. Jesus, I want to delight in your good news. This church, the reality is, is that's good news. And I'll tell you what's helped me so much is realizing what kind of person I would be without it. What kind of person I would be without it is somebody and something that's no good, but with it, God has made me everything, and God's changed me, and he's ministered so much. And maybe this morning, we need to be captivated and learn to love and like the gospel all over again. As the band comes this morning, last thing today is, are you, are you ready to contend for the gospel? Now, that's the the million-dollar question is, well, how do you contend for the gospel? You need to be here next Sunday morning because we're going to dive into that next week. Or how you, how you, because Jude gives us very specific instructions on how to contend for the gospel. It's great. It's very clear. It's, it's wonderful. You can cheat if you want. Read ahead a little bit. But if you don't, well, you'll see us next week and we'll talk about that. But my question today is, are you ready to do it? Are you ready to contend for the gospel? Are you ready to have the attitude like, like I did with my daughter or like you would with your child that says, if I lose them, if it's gone, if whatever else, man, I will stop at nothing to, to, to come back and contend for the gospel. Church, really, it's an attitude that God's called us to. Are you ready to live like that? Maybe here today you say, I'm not even sure I'm ready to contend for anything today. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I, I'm, I'm happy that you're here this morning. You may say, I'm not sure what this means. What's the gospel? You see, the gospel has, has changed my life. It's changed the lives of many of us here this morning. And see, the gospel is not this church. The gospel is not a political statement. Although I definitely would say that many of us probably agree politically, that's not the gospel, you know? The gospel is not some set of ideals or set of rights or, or wrongs or whatever else. You see, sometimes I think we contend for people's actions before we contend for the gospel. The gospel is what, was what compels us to change. The gospel of Jesus Christ has compelled me to walk away from sin, not the other way around. I think sometimes we as believers get so stuck on the actions first. Oh, do you see what they did? They're not believers. They don't get it. You know, just see what happened. Oh, can you believe that? Well, they're not, they're not going to get that. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, him crucified, him, him, him deli- what he delivered to us, which is the truth of salvation. And that, the word says in Matthew, was to God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to, 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 to pull us, to, to challenge us, to compel us, to live like Christ has called us to live. See, if we contended for the gospel, if we contended for the good news of 
Jesus and his changing power and authority in our lives, if that's where we put our efforts of contention and contending, maybe people would see that and say, man, that looks pretty good. And I want to change like that person. Because church, we can contend for things all we want, contend for, for you know, our society, which is changing, and political things, which are changing. It's terrible, and I agree, and I know, and I hate where our society is going. But the, but the reality is our society is not believers, and they don't know Christ. See, I don't want to contend for just an ideal. I want to contend for the gospel, the good news with Jesus Christ. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to tell you a story today that I heard last week about contending for the gospel. It was powerful. I heard it from a, a preacher. His name is Choco de Jesus. And he pastors a church in inner city Chicago. Fantastic church. And it's really a great thing. And he tells a story about uh, a guy in his church, his son, his high school son, was in a high school within his district that he ministers in. And this young man was in a classroom, and the, and the teacher uh, was talking about something and said, took, took a Bible and said, this Bible, this thing, is, it's, it's lies, it's not truth, it's stories, you know, it's allegories, it's not true. And he said, I'm going to show you what you should think about the Bible. He took it and threw it in the garbage and then walked out of the room. And this young man texted his dad. He said, Dad, he wouldn't believe what just happened. So he told us a story. And his dad texted Pastor Choco and says, Pastor, you wouldn't believe what just happened to school. And Choco was in a meeting. And he said, I, something within me was like, no, that cannot happen. And he got up. He left his meeting. He walked down to the school. He walked into the, to the front row and went to the principal and said, man, he said, Tell you what happened when you were in your classroom. So he told him the story, and the principal said, well, you, you can't go back there. And Choco said, I have to. I have to tell this teacher what's inside of my heart. Please let me go. And so the principal let him go back with him, and they went back together. And Choco, you'd think he'd say, you jerk, I can't believe this. What Choco did was, was amazing. He walked up to this teacher and said, with, with trembling eyes and trembling heart, said, sir, I heard what you just did. I heard you took my word, the thing that changed me, the thing that set me free, the thing that I have preached to, to, to callous prostitutes and drug addicts and people around the city. I've preached that same word and it's brought them freedom and peace and hope and joy. And you just told kids in high school that it means nothing. He said, I want you to know, you don't have to believe. I can't force you to believe, but you have to know something. But you have to respect what that word has done. I want you to pull it out, pull it out of the, the garbage. The guy, he said, the guy just kind of stood there dumbfounded. He said he couldn't believe it. And Choco said, I'm not going to make you, but I'm going to beg you. Because that word means something to me. And the guy pulls the Bible out of the garbage and hands it to Choco. And Choco said, thank you, and walks out. And I heard one of the greatest stories on contending for the faith that I ever have. Folks, God's not called us to this angry, bitter rage when somebody does something wrong. God's called us to contend for the faith. It's valuable. It's important. It's amazing. It's what saved me. It's what's delivered you. He's called us to live our lives like that. And folks, what God, what, what, what will be the, the biggest thing to hold us back from that is indifference and saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. If you want to change in your life, you want to say, man, I want to do that. 
I want to encourage you to take some advice from you this morning and delight and love the gospel and have it in your heart. Why don't you stand across this room today? Stand up. Say, God, I want to delight in your word, Jesus. I want to delight in your word this morning. And I understand today that maybe you're here today, you're not prepared for this. You weren't reading this word, this scripture all week like I was. I'm fired up because I read it. And this is new for you. I get that this morning. And then you say, I want to be a contender, not a pretender. I want to contend for the faith. I want stories like that. I want the gospel within my heart. I want to love it. I want to have a heart for it. I want to just think it's the greatest thing ever, but I don't today. I want to encourage you, church, to say, God, no more. No more. I'm done with that, Jesus. I want my life to be a contention. Lord, I want my life, Jesus, to say, Lord, your gospel means so much more to me than just ideal or a a political statement or whatever else. It's your gospel is what saved and changed and delivered me, Jesus. If you've lost that this morning, I want to ask you to say, Jesus, I want to appreciate it like that one more time. Lord, I want to come back to you, Jesus, and I want to say, Lord, I I want to be a person that delights and then a person that contends. I'm going to pray this morning. We're going to worship. And we'll close some prayer in a minute this morning. But I want to encourage you, if I could have some prayer warriors come up to the front. If you could, line the front of this room. Some of our elders and other prayer warriors. If you could, just come to the front today. Find a spot up here, men and women. You may say, is that me? If you feel it's in your heart, that's you. Come on up. This is just the time we're just going to pray and see God this morning. And these folks are going to be up here today. If you need prayer... If you say, man, I want to be a contender, not a pretender. That's my heart today. If that's you, you say, man, I'm telling you, my life has not been like that. I don't know if I could contend right now. I want to ask you to find one person up here, have them pray for you. Find a spot at this altar and say, God, I pour my life out to you, Jesus. And I want my life to be a life that is a contender, Jesus. If that's not, you know, come up here today. I want us to next few moments to worship Jesus and say, God, change my heart and make me what you want me to be. Jesus, we love you. We praise you in this church, Lord Jesus. Oh, church, don't wait for me to start. Just start praising him right now. Jesus, we love you, Lord Jesus. Lord, our hearts this morning, Lord God, our hearts to be contenders and not pretenders, Jesus. Our hearts this morning, God, are ultimately, Lord, we want to delight in your gospel. And we know that, God, and we see your gospel as something so incredible, so amazing, so mighty, so powerful, so, so cool, that we can't possibly let it not come out of us, Jesus. When we see like that, we'll contend. Lord, place that in our hearts this morning. Guys, speak to each person across this room. Lord Jesus, draw us closer to you. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.